When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wide, wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, this weekend, UFC Noche down there in Las Vegas, they put almost 19,000 people into T-Mobile Arena, so I guess you could call it a wide world of MMA at this yeah. point. Seemed to be a big success for the UFC. A Let's see here. $2.2 million gate. So that's always nice to pick that up for the UFC. Almost like extra pocket change at this point. That gate money for them. But uh, I don't know. It seemed like, uh, seems like everyone besides Valentina Shevchenko ended up having a pretty good time. <laughs> Valentina Shevchenko... I don't think would describe that as a great time. She seemed a little bit salty, a little bit upset with how things turned out. Salty Um, in the aftermath. Maybe we'll get to that coming up uh, during this show. But uh, I don't know. What what were your impressions overall of the first UFC event to mark Mexican Independence Day? A lot of energy in the building. Did you notice that? A lot of good crowd energy and just, you know, the UFC's willingness to do some fun, new, different stuff. I always take as an encouraging sign. That's one of the things that we sometimes criticize the UFC for is that they sort of hammered out this template for how events look. This is what you can expect from pay-per-views. This is what you can expect from fight nights. And never will there be much deviation. And it gets a little stale. It gets a little boring. And so to do some interesting stuff, to have this event where it's technically a fight night, it's on ESPN+, Plus, but also we're going to throw a title up there. We're not just doing it in the apex. Uh, We got a whole different vibe going on. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good time. Um, I, I do think 
It's interesting to hear somebody like Valentina Shevchenko show up afterwards after the decision did not go the All way right, she hold, thought. Hold on now. Don't go too far here. Don't go Just too far. get out of my way. Get out of my way. Clear the lane. You're going to stumble all over my, are you fucking kidding me? If you're not careful. (laughs) Okay. All right. I see. I see what you're saying. Uh, You know, let's, let's be cool. Just be cool. We're only two minutes into the show. This is is why you should tell me what you are. You fucking kidding me is before we start recording the show. Um, Spoil it. It would spoil the, uh, the impromptu live feel of it that you get from this show. I will say one thing. I always love when there is a draw announced uh, in the in the arena because fighters never understand what's happening right away ever never it's every single time i've ever seen it there's the moment where you hear the scores and you're like i can do the quick math on that and they're both standing there with a look on their face like they're still waiting to hear what the which way it went they're still just waiting to hear somebody's name. And when they don't hear anybody's name, they both just stand there looking confused for a minute. And it always takes a few extra beats before it sinks into everybody. Because they're both getting their hand raised. They're both kind of like, I didn't hear the other person's name, but I also didn't hear my name. Yeah. And that they're just waiting to hear that part. And when they don't hear anything, it's like you can watch on their faces as it always sort of short circuits the brains. Like it just happens just rarely enough that nobody ever knows what to do right in that moment. Yeah, it's awkward for sure, especially when you got two fighters who are working in English as a second language. There was a, a hilarious moment, in fact, during the Alexa Grasso post-fight interview where uh, even though she had heard that it was a draw, Daniel Cormier had told her that it was a draw. She knew that it was a draw, but she kept talking about how she had won. And then at the end, Daniel Cormier had to say, but it was a draw. And then he <laughs> went over I mean, to- for her, uh, you know, she she went out there. Maybe the, the scoring looked like it was going to go the other way. And then in the end, they strapped that belt around her waist. Can yeah. you blame her if she felt like, okay. Kind of feels like a win, you know? Yeah, it's fuck out of Dodge. The last time, we looked this up on Friday, last time a UFC title was contested on a fight night was Davis and Figueredo and Joseph Benavidez, who actually fought twice for a vacant men's flyweight title on fight night events. One of them, July 19th, 2020 in Abu Dhabi, the other one in February of 2020. And the, the last time that an actual standing UFC champion put their belt on the line during a fight night was Jessica Andrade, who defended against uh, Wiley Zhang in China on a fight night in August of 2019. And Wiley Zhang won that via 42-second TKO. So I agree with you. It's nice to see the UFC put a title on the line in a fight night, just a breath of fresh air. Uh, You had a lot of definitive outcomes i guess is the nice way to say it on this card uh until you got to the co-main event and the main event in which case you got two split decisions alexa grasso emerges with the split draw over valentina shevchenko so she gets to keep the new custom belt that they made for her for ufc noche and you had jack della Maddalena get the split decision over kevin holland so we're going to spend a lot of time on this episode talking about that and then i think near the end of the show we will look ahead to the next fight fight night. Rafael Faziv and Mateusz Gamrot going to do it at the Apex coming up uh, this Saturday, September 23rd. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free. 
in your timelines and your podcast libraries. If you like what you hear, you can find the co-main event, Ben Folks and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up over there, patreon.com slash co-main event. Get loads and loads of extra audio and video content, as well as access to our official Discord message board. The coolest people in mixed martial arts are over there chatting it up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. They talk about everything, not just the mixed martial arts. They're helping each other out, giving each other pointers about life and all kinds of different stuff. Get over there and take part in that. Uh, we also are offering at this point seven day free trials over on the Patreon. You can jump in at what would be the $5 level. It's a great chance to check out a week's worth of content over there and decide if you want to take the plunge and sign up for real. As you guys know, we can only keep making the show with the support of our listeners. So there it is. Come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of people talking fights online. So head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. You could also scoop up some dope CME merchandise. Just head to our shop over at comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says shop. That'll get you there. You can find Dundasso t-shirts, Are You Fucking Kidding Me t-shirts, t-shirts for the MMA gods, Cowboy Astronaut cigarettes t-shirts, Bobby Nux t-shirts, the brand new Volcamania design. We got it all over there. Just go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link that says shop. As always, we partner with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. They're a brand and design studio from Portland, Oregon. We can't recommend them highly enough. Hit them up, studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at studiosuperconductor. New music alert. We got some brand new tracks from our guy, Doug Ty, CME listener and beloved patron, a.k.a. Spider Fighting. You know he describes his music as, quote, instrumental beat music that straddles the non-existent line between aging indie dork and backpack boom bap. Backpack boom bap. A tongue twister if there ever was one. I do like the music. It's pretty cool. Head over and listen to him at soundcloud.com slash spider fighting, all one word, if you like what you hear on the show. Three rounds, as usual, this week on the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko had another amazing fight in the main event of UFC Noche this weekend. And in the end, we were all Sean Shelby. What the fuck? (laughs) And in round number two, Mike Bell, what are you up to, man? Did Nevada's biggest fan of the 10-8 round save Grasso's title or not? And in round number three, we head back to the apex with Raphael Fazeev versus Mateusz Gamrot this Saturday. Can't argue with that one, I guess. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by NordVPN. Have you signed up for your NordVPN deal exclusively through the co-main event? If you haven't, you really, really should. With NordVPN, you get the fastest VPN on the planet. NordVPN provides online protection with a single click. Don't miss your favorite content. Even when you're traveling, stay at home virtually. Stay safe from malware and threat protection with threat protection. I got to put that in caps. I always screw that up. Malware with threat protection. Ben and I both have NordVPN. We both use it all the time. Ben, I know you love NordVPN. What's your favorite part about using it? Well, Chad, you know my favorite part 
is that I love the way it clicks on as you hop from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Doesn't matter where you're going. Doesn't matter if, like me, you spent much of the morning down at the tire place getting new tires put on your rig after one of them blew out at a very inopportune moment over the weekend. Doesn't matter if you're then you know, going over to your local coffee shop, get them to make you one of those coffees that you only get on days where you need the emotional lift. Does not matter. NordVPN has you covered, Chad. You can also access Nord's amazing cybersecurity apps, including the NordPass password manager, helping you keep all your passwords straight and close at hand. And with the NordLocker encrypted cloud storage app, you can keep your files backed up, synced, and protected from snoopers, loss, or malware in its secure cloud. Nobody will see, touch, or sell them. I do want to hear this story about your tires. Maybe we can circle back to that toward the end of the show. Right now, sign up for any of NordVPN's handy two-year plans, and you can get an additional four months for free by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain, all one word. Just be sure you use those handy and exclusive CME links. That's nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code comain, all one word. This includes all of the two-year plans offered by Nord. The standard plan, the plus plan, and the complete plan. It's all risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash comain or use the code, say it with me now, all one word, comain. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Long Live Gunu. Okay. He writes, why is it that today most champions after they win a title, their very first instinct is a super fight? I believe that the only time a super fight is the viable choice is after they clear out the division. Ben, I think there's a, a a fairly straightforward answer for this. What do you think? Do you think it's money, 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 money? Okay. I do think that that broadly, that is the motivation. And they think that how do I get to that next level of cash inflow pay-per-view point sharing riches. How do I get into a big pay-per-view where my cut of it as the champion, I can maximize this rare moment that I don't know how long is going to last super fight. I, I, I think that that's absolutely part of it. Don't you think though, that also in a weird psychological way, at least some of it is that a lot of these people in their minds, they did kind of clear out the division just by getting here. Because they had to fight a list of tougher and tougher contenders on their way up. And then once they get there and they become the champion, they're looking around being like, okay, the fact that I am bantamweight champion or whatever means that I am the king of this bantamweight shit. What else is out there? I did it. Yes. I did it. Now I got to climb the next peak in the mountain Baby, I done it. Now let me fight the featherweight champ, some shit like that. I mean, I do think still that the main motivation in their minds is the thing about being champion, you get points on the pay-per-view. You don't know how long you're going to be champion. Just another, you know, bantamweight title fight, whatever weight title fight, is that really going to bring a huge pay-per-view so that you can really cash in on this exact moment? Maybe not. I think it's especially unappealing to some people you know, if somebody turns around the, t- the champ you took it from and it's like, how about an immediate rematch? And you're going like, I don't know, bro. I was really looking for something a little more blockbustery to yeah. bring that money in. And maybe a super fight does that. Then again, though, it could also just be sort of that they, they see other people doing that shit. 
we've seen enough super fights, especially even right away. We've seen the champion versus champion thing the same way that it has worn off its luster for a lot of us just because of overuse to a lot of the fighters coming up and becoming champions. It probably just seems like what you do because they've yeah. seen the, the uh, people who came before them do that right away. I learned it by watching you, Dad. Exactly. Uh, just think about all of the stuff that the people in this sport have to scrounge around to do to try to make money, right? Everybody wants to have a boxing match when they mm -hmm. become champion. Sean O'Malley is talking about having a boxing match. Francis Ngannou left to have a boxing match. Conor McGregor was the pioneer of this boxing match shit. I guess if you want to go way back, uh, Anderson Silva and uh, Roy Jones Jr. were talking about boxing back way before it was cool. But now you win a title, everybody wants to do boxing. People are willing to go fight in bare knuckle because <laughs> they can get paid more money than they can in the UFC. Only fans. Bunch of people out here have only fans because everybody just needs to make more money than what they're getting from their actual jobs fighting as MMA fighters for the UFC. So I think it's not any surprise at all that when people get to the, the point in their career that they have been told all along, when you get to this point, that's when you will make the money. So they get to this point and then they think, okay, I'm here. How do I make the most money? Oh, I fight uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah. That's what I do. So, that's what turns the money faucet on. That's sure. I think that's the most straightforward explanation. And I think it's the most applicable one. Although I also think you're right that like all, the, all of these proud champions and MMA fighters, they do, they are interested in more and better and bigger physical tests and also, you know, the more lucrative physical tests. So it's, it's probably makes sense in, in all ways to them. How is, uh, how is your OnlyFans doing by the way? Oh, I heard that you ran into in some, dough. some issues. Yeah. It's raking yeah. in the dough. The, the issue was they couldn't get it all in the screen. Yeah. Is that's that... the issue. That was okay. the issue. Had to get I, the wide I... angle. A lot of complaints is what I heard. A lot of, a lot of people who called it. Uh, I saw one, and I'm quoting here, cultural disaster okay. is how they referred to it. So yeah, but I guess I mean a lot of people thought it was going to be something different than what it was. <laughs> they didn't know <laughs> it was happen. just going to be me like cleaning out my garage. That will happen. Yeah, cause some confusion. Uh, next question this week comes from Rumpelstiltskin's public defender. He writes, are we still on the flat nose Jackie bandwagon? Combine the fact that the UFC declined to provide him with a homecoming fight last weekend in Australia, along with his last two lackluster appearances. Things do not get easier the higher he can climb the rankings. Do you still consider him a future title challenger? Now, they did try to get Jack Della Maddalena a fight, right? Didn't they try to uh, twist... Stevie Thompson's arm, the Wonder Man. Weren't they like, hey, come down to Australia and fight Jack Della Maddalena after his uh, Michelle Pereira fight fell through? Yeah, that was sort of like a last minute attempt. And Stephen Thompson did the old savvy veteran move, tapping the, the forehead going, uh-uh, no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. You're not getting me with that one. Uh, it does seem like, though, we're reaching a point of moving him up the ranks yes. with a little more speed. And with mixed results, you might say. Yeah, and I mean, he hasn't been in the UFC that long. He's, you know, came, he's one of these contender series guys, came in, in in 2022. So he's he's only been in the UFC about a year and a half, not quite a year and a half. He's 27 years old, so he's still got some time to mature. I don't think that we can look 
at Jack Della Maddalena right now and think that this is the end product. He still might have some room to grow. So I'm not going to look at a guy who eked by with a split decision win over Kevin Holland and had also had a split decision over uh, Basil Hafez his last time out and say, this guy can't get it done. I still think he looks like a good, capable, able fighter. Uh, and I, I don't know that I would lower his ceiling. I, I, I think that you see exactly what you said. He's starting to move up the ranks now. And it's like the UFC got to the point where they were like, okay, we have to give him somebody like Kevin Holland. We can't continue to give him uh, these kind of no-name contenders. And whenever that happens, you might see diminishing returns in the form of like fewer stoppages and things like that. But hey, man, undefeated in the UFC. 16 and 2 overall. He's won what? 1 2 3 4 5 6 straight fights in the UFC. So, I don't know how hard you can quibble with 6 and 0. Oh. Can't be any better than that. In fact, after 6 yeah. fights in the UFC. It's it's not though a great sign for the guy who, you know, had a pretty good hype train going. People were starting to get excited about him uh to hear that many boos en route to victory. Thanks you know, for the booze, by the way. That's what Jackie Flatnose had to say. You know, you you heard it during this fight. You heard it at the end of this fight. You know, it, that's not exactly the one that you're going to stick on the highlight reel. Also, though, I feel like Kevin Holland is a, a tricky stylistic matchup for him. So, you know, let's see. Let's see what happens going forward as you continue to move him up there. You know, it's... It is, though, If at this point, if you're kind of looking in retrospect where you're going like, okay, when we got excited about him, when he looked awesome, just, you know, sitting people down left and right, uh, a bunch of performance of the night bonuses, this run of TKO finishes, they were against lesser competition by a lot. You know, people that, that were not really at this level. Then you, you get up there, you had the, the the last one where he wins a split decision, then this one where he wins a split decision. It does make you at least pause and go, did he look great because of who he was fighting? And will the excitement sort of drain out if you end up in a lot closer and less spectacular fights as you face tougher and tougher fighters? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And you know what? I'm not going to uh, discount Jack Della Maddalena until he loses. I mean, as long as he keeps winning, I think he's got a fairly high ceiling. And we'll just have to see how he fares uh, moving forward with with different fighters. You know, it could just well be that he had a tough time with Kevin Holland. And, and uh, we'll see how he does moving forward. I do agree that uh, there are some questions, but I'm not going to count him out until we see him lose. I got to correct myself here. The earlier uh, listener mail that we read about uh, super fights is actu- was actually from, let's see here. Arm Anderson? Arm Anderson. Okay. The listener mail that's from Long Live Gunu is this one. With the success of UFC Noche, did the UFC blindly stumble into an annual cultural event like UFC London slash Paris that will generate them millions in revenue and that they do not deserve and will not reciprocate with their fighters. We talked about this, Ben, a little bit on on the outset here at the beginning of the show. Uh, It seemed like this was a cool event. It seemed like most people had fun with it. It's, you know, they put a title on the line. They made a good gate. They brought a lot of people into the uh, the T-Mobile arena down there in Las Vegas. I feel like you would kind of be dumb 
if you didn't do this again, since it was yeah. such a big success. And if you do it again, you may want to look at actually having it in Mexico, <laughs> yes. not in Las Vegas, Nevada. It would just be my idea. Yeah, that one still seemed a little odd. I went probably till Thursday of last week thinking that this one was in Mexico. Just because I kept hearing we're doing a special UFC event for Mexican Independence Day, Noche UFC, all this stuff. My brain just jumped to the conclusion that we were doing it somewhere in Mexico. Yeah. And then when I found out, no, we're just in Las Vegas, I was like, okay, that that is not what this had all led me to believe. <laughs> uh, you know, I... They would be a dumb, I think, after the success of this one to just be like, well, screw that. I mean, we've seen them be exactly that kind of dumb before. Remember how long it took them to even remember that they had a BMF title <laughs> after they came up with that? It was a fun idea that was basically got a groundswell of support kind of forced upon them by popular opinion. They went, OK, let's do it. Even had some specialty wings, allegedly. Uh, a promotion with Buffalo Wild Wings, put on this belt on somebody, and then immediately forgot about it for like three or four years. And so I, that, I think, shows that the UFC, they're, it's not necessarily super long-term planning with a lot of this stuff. We come up with an idea, okay, it goes okay. It's very easy for them to fall back into their sort of stale routines. But I would think that you got to... if. You come out of this one, what more could you have hoped for it? How, how could you have hoped that it would have gone better or met with more enthusiasm or support with the fans? If anything, I would think you would come out of this one and go, okay, what else like this could we do? You know, yeah. what what other opportunities like this are there to take something like a fight night event, uh, some shit that's just streaming on ESPN plus, especially in the middle of football season, when you sometimes have a hard time capturing more of the audience share, how can we take this stuff and tying it to something in the calendar, some sort of theme night, dress it up as something more than what it usually is? There have got to be more opportunities to do that. And I, I would think that when they're doing war room shit, Chad, this week, yep. that that ought to be something they're looking at. Yeah, weekly war room shit. They'll they'll talk about this for sure. If then if they're looking around for ideas, I would say... Just have the next one in Mexico. That'd be my first, that'd be at the top of my my list of stuff that could improve this event. All right, next question this week. I swear I did not write this under an assumed name. <laughs> this one comes from Dakota, who writes, Did Montana State quarterback Sean Chambers tempt the MMA gods too far when he tweeted that Sean O'Malley will get knocked out in his next fight? Does this bode ill for the Bobcats' chances in this year's Brawl of the Wild because of that bold, brash, and cocky prediction? P.S. He has since deleted it, so it makes you think. Mm. Eyes emoji. Now, for people who don't know, we record this podcast in Missoula, Montana, home of the University of Montana and the, the Montana Grizzly football team. The rivals are the Bobcats from down the road in Bozeman at Montana State this past weekend. UFC men's bantamweight champion Sean O'Malley, also a Montana native, was on hand at the Grizzlies' home game against Ferris State night game. He raised the Legacy 37 flag in one of the corners of the end zone, which is traditionally uh, a job that they bring in a somewhat famous Montana person to do. This week they brought in Sean O'Malley. The uh, sports marketing department shelled out to have Bruce Buffer like record a special introduction for this event that they played over the PA. I'll tell you what I did not expect. 
I did not expect Sean O'Malley to be quite this over, but he was just unbelievably popular and universally recognized by the college students at the game. This is by far the biggest mob scene that I've ever seen crowded around this flagpole where they put up the number 37 before the game was to have Sean O'Malley there. People were going nuts for him. It was the yeah, you biggest, were at this one, right? You, yeah. you were there just to you, you looked like you were mere feet away at points. I was trying to get closer, but the damn security guys were telling me I couldn't get any closer. So, yeah, you were like, do O'Malley. you know who I am? <laughs> exactly. I work in this space, sir. Yeah, uh, he was there. He had the pink hair. He was wearing the Montana football jersey. I talked to a couple friends of ours, Ben, mutual acquaintances that you and I both know, who told me that they had run into Sean O'Malley's dad prior to the game. And he had said that Sean O'Malley was more excited to come to this game and raise the, the 37 flag than he had been to do almost any other personal ancillary appearance that he has done in his UFC career. Uh, and I think that there's some evidence to suggest that that was true since he stayed for the whole football game. I had in my mind's eye that O'Malley was going to show up for this thing, raise the flag, jump in the hot pink Lamborghini and roar away. But he stayed for the whole goddamn like three hour game. And then after it was over there, he, over, he was out there celebrating on the field with the team. Where did you think he was going to go? Like I don't, back to Helena? I don't know. Like he's not gonna go to the nightclub and that we don't have in Missoula, you know. I think once you make the trip here, you might as well stick around. There's damn fireworks show scheduled for afterwards. You don't yeah. think he wants to see the fireworks? I saw I saw still photographs of him in the locker room after the game. Yeah, sitting there listening to the coach's speech. Now, as for Montana State quarterback Sean Chambers, yeah, yes, he got a little he he got a little. Uh, he was feeling himself, maybe, on Twitter this past week. He put up a tweet saying Sean O'Malley was going to get knocked out in his next fight, owing to nothing else besides this football rivalry and the fact that Sean O'Malley would even show up to support Montana instead of Montana State was enough to get Sean Chambers to tweet that O'Malley was going to get knocked out. Tweet and delete, I guess we should point out, that Sean O'Malley was going to get knocked out in his next fight. Now, first of all, you tell me Montana State quarterback. I think about touchdown Tommy. This is Tommy the first time. Yeah. First time learning really of Sean Chambers. But I'm just going to tell you, I looked him up here on ESPN just to see what we're dealing with. Uh, I'm going to read off to you some stats. Senior, 6'3", mm-hmm. 228 pounds, birthplace, Kerman, California. Oh, boy. Yeah. They do. They run the two quarterback system over there. At Montana State, he and he and Tommy Malott. But sometimes they line them both up on the field at the same time. That's what they're doing over there. Yeah, I don't know this California guy. I don't know if he gets to come in and tweet at Sean O'Malley like that. He deleted it with a quickness. Yeah. Maybe he looked. Maybe he felt that 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 changed the vibes in the locker room, <laughs> and he was like, "Uh oh." Yeah. Uh so you know if whether or not it can help the Grizzlies when they play the Bobcats at the end of the season. I sure shit hope so because they're going to need some help. Yeah. Montana yeah, they State are. team, very good. Montana Grizzlies uh, struggled to put away Division II Ferris State this past weekend. So we'll see when it comes November time. All right, You that were very is concerned be- that the vibes was off. The I, vibes I, I was knew. off. I'm not going to bore everybody anymore <laughs> with, with all the reasons why I thought the vibes was off. But I felt uh, vindicated that the vibes was off for a long time during that game until in the end it turned out the vibes was okay. <laughs> Just barely. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. 
You go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, this was a great fight, and frankly, another great fight between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. If it turns out uh, that we got to do this one over again for the women's uh, flyweight title, I will not be that sad. I, you get these two together, and you have a very tense, very action-packed time over five rounds. What I think we're going to do here is we will spend round number one talking about the fight itself and maybe the implications that it has for both Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. And then coming up in round number two, we will talk about that scorecard that swung the balance of this thing from Valentina Shevchenko to Alexa Grasso and the implications of that and all that it means, et cetera, et cetera. But we're going to talk about the fight here in Round number one, the thing that I liked was that both fighters here seemed to make the adjustments that they needed to make coming out of their first fight against each other. Valentina Shevchenko uh, was working the jab like crazy. She uh, was was able to land some kicks. She definitely at least tried to threaten with the takedowns. On the other side of the coin, Alexa Grasso still had more power. I think she had worked hard on the takedown offense, which defense, which was better, although she did get put on their back on her back a few times. Uh, but when she did, she had uh, uh, you know an ability to get up. We saw some of that in the first fight, but in this fight, in this fight, she definitely limited the time that she spent down there in those positions. So I thought all of that was good, and I thought it resulted in a razor close fight in a decision that was probably going to be contested by someone somewhere, some way. Uh, but I, I don't know, man, I came away from this, you know, despite the draw, I felt like this was a great fight. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And it was an, just an interesting arc of the fight to watch as it went on. Uh, I was impressed with Alexa Grasso's ability to, when she got put down, she was hard to keep there. A lot yeah. of the time. And yeah. she was hard. It was hard for Valentina Shevchenko to do a whole lot to her when she did have her down. And, you know, I, when we get into talking about the judging, I'm sure that that's one of the things that is always kind of tricky that we seem to not know exactly how to do uh, is to how to score takedowns when we don't know exactly know where it leads to. But she, you know, there are moments there where she definitely made Valentina Shevchenko feel her punching power, uh, where she was. Uh, capitalizing more on her offensive opportunities in the stand-up game. Uh, and I thought that, honestly, when you saw her get into big moments that she didn't have a ton of in this fight, she really made sure that you noticed them all. Mm-hmm. You know, Valentina Shevchenko had a lot more sort of that calm, controlling moments where she seemed like she was getting to, to do her stuff to dictate the pace a little more. Um, and yet... Alexa Grasso's moments all felt like big moments. Yeah. They felt like you're you're really really noticing that that she is scoring and that she is is right there in it. I mean, if nothing else, you come out of this one and whatever people may have been saying, okay, you were losing that first fight, 
you got the choke that kind of saved you. Uh, but, you know, in the rematch, you're going to get run over. You know, it, obviously, anytime you win the first fight and come into the rematch as an underdog, that's kind of people saying, okay, we don't think that you can do that a second time. And this one, I think, even if you think it deserved to go the other way, you can't say that Alexa Grasso looked like she didn't belong in there. That you know, That's a, a close-ass fight between her and Valentina Shevchenko. And it does create a tough one for Valentino because while you do have a strong and reasonable claim to say we should run that one back, not only because it was fucking technically a tie, but because, come on, don't you think I deserve to win? But also because you're 0-1-1 against Alexa Grasso. And so now you're you're having to argue for a third fight where you haven't won one yet. You know, like that's... And then it, it puts you in a position of what do you do if she were to win that third fight? Then you're one, one and one. How do you not do a fourth fight at that point? It gets yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. No, I agree with you. And it it, uh, it brings up this question that we got from Cody Bernston, who wrote, writes, Saturday night's result couldn't have been more perfect, in my opinion. Now you can have Grasso lose the belt to Blanchfield and Valentina <laughs> can go up and fight for the vacant 135-pound title because why not? Uh uh, you know, I don't know that all that stuff is going to happen, but I do think that you opened up some opportunities here with this. And Alexa Grasso, who seems popular, at least on UFC Noche night, that uh, she can probably draw some people in and have some some decently marketable fights with people. And, and uh, you know, Blanchfield is one idea. If, if I was Tatiana Suarez, I'd be looking real hard at maybe uh, coming back, coming back to the division since, uh, since that's what... Uh, that's what Alexa Grasso seems real vulnerable to is the thing that I do real well. And Oh, by the way, I already beat her once. Yeah. So, you know, might want to think about something like that, but yeah, I think that, uh, we don't need to do an immediate rematch. We have Valentina Shevchenko go fight somebody else. And if it, if it comes to pass that we do one or two more fights with these people and that Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko ends up defining this period of women's flyweight championship fights, I'm good with it because I will watch these fights when they have them. Cause the first two have been really good. They, this was, you know, I really enjoy, I watched it last or I watched it on Saturday and then I watched it again today. Cause I knew we were going to talk about it. And both times I was kind of, uh, struck by what a good fight it was. And in fact, both of these people are so fast. And I think maybe this is one of, one of the reasons that it can be hard at times to notice all of the things that Valentina Shevchenko is doing is that she's so fast. So when she's yeah. like pumping that jab and hitting Alexa Grasso with it, it happens so quickly that it's almost easy to discount. Whereas when Alexa Grasso would hit Valentina Shevchenko, you noticed when that happened. Uh, but I was watching it on the the, the uh, ESPN Plus on my computer earlier today. And I was like, I was watching it and I was literally like, am I watching this at 1.5 speed? Because like it was like going so fast. I was like, do I, is there a thing where I can watch this? Did I accidentally put this on a different setting? Because Daniel Cormier sounds the same. And I can see that the clock is not going faster. But these people are just incredibly fast. I don't know. It was freaking me out. Um, the the thing that we talked about beforehand, I mean, first of all, I agree with Cody Burton's, uh, the the thesis of his question basically being like, wouldn't this be an opportunity to do something different at Flyway? And yes, the this does give you an opportunity to for the first time, Chad, since 2018, 
2017, really, uh, have an actual UFC women's flyweight title fight that does not feature Valentina Shevchenko. As you you recall, the incredibly short-lived reign of Nico Montano is what kicked us off here with the UFC Women's Flyweight Championship. Um, And then when she was forced out of a title defense in 2018 with a weight issue, uh, stripped of the belt, Valentina Shevchenko won the vacant belt uh, in 2019 and has held it. Pretty much ever since until she lost it to Alexa Grasso. We do the immediate rematch, so she's also in that one. Here you have an opportunity to finally do one without her and and just get a little fresh blood in the division. And I like the idea of having her fight someone else. But the question we asked on Friday's Power Hour, the question I asked you was, is Valentina Shevchenko on the way down? Has she done fallen off? After we saw her, you know, in one close fight against Tyler Santos before losing the title to Alexa Grasso, and she comes in here, looks pretty good, but does not get the win in this one. What say you? Now, you, just for people who didn't listen to Friday's Power Hour, you punted on this question. I, well, I you, gave you the magic eight ball. You, ask yes, again later. Ask again later was what you said. Let me Let me see how this one goes, and then I'll get back to you. We've seen. I'm asking again later. What say you now? Well, I mean, she's not, she's not going to lap the field, right? She's not, she's not 50 yards ahead of everybody in the race. Like maybe it seemed like she was for a while during the the prime time of her championship reign, but she also doesn't look washed by any stretch of the imagination. She looked really good in this fight. She, if anything, I feel like the Tyler Santos fight and then the loss to Alexa Grasso in the last fight kind of lit a fire under her because we saw her be very, uh, all business in leading up to this fight. And then it was sort of a very impressive, but workmanlike performance from her during the actual fight. So I think she, for the first time in a really long time, felt like she had something to prove. And maybe the fact that she didn't get the decision is one of the reasons why we've seen this, this somewhat salty aftermath from Valentina Shevchenko. But like, I think it's natural for, for a champion that has been around as long as Valentina Shevchenko has, a person who is now 35 years old, the rest of the field is going to start to catch up a little bit. Everybody's working hard to catch you while your only real uh, place to go is to like stay where you are, to like stay on top, to, I guess try to get better as a fighter, but like everyone else has all this motivation to catch you. And so I think she still looks very good, but I think that the... Uh, the level of talent around her has is closing the gap, let's say. Yeah. Um, I did find it interesting where headed into the fifth round, the the talk in the corner is no mistakes. You got to like, we got to finish strong here. We got to be on top of the game. Don't fuck up basically now at this point. Uh, and then the classic goes for that head and arm throw, which Man, that head and arm throw, everybody in MMA should forget that they ever learned that head and arm throw because the potential to get your back taken with that is just so high. Even if you hit it, the potential to get your back taken with that head and arm throw is just so high. And this one, it happened just immediately. She just went for it and immediately got her back taken and it ends up being the difference in the fight. If she doesn't do that, if she just sort of stands there and... And jabs, even if she loses that round, you know, by just a small margin on the feet or, or clinches against the fence or, and, and winds the time down, something like that, she's the champ right now. Yeah. Yeah, she goes for that head and arm throw that is just 
the potential for something bad to happen is so much higher than the potential for something good to happen. And you end up with Alexa Grasso on your back, which I also wonder, and I'm sure we'll get into this with the judging talk, how much of it has to do with the last time we saw Alexa Grasso on your back, you were losing and pretty much immediately lost. And so you give her that opportunity in this fifth round where everything seems to be hanging in the balance. And that's the difference. You yeah. Know? And also, I think you were right. Just like, that's where we ended the fight, right? That was the last like minute or so is Val- or, uh, Alexa Grasso on Valentina Shevchenko's back. So that leaves a lasting impression with the judges. Uh, but I think the, like the thing that you said earlier was, was right. That Valentina Shevchenko, she might've been winning more time in the fight. Like she might've been controlling the greater, uh, the lion's share of the clock, let's say, kind of like using the jab and and throwing the kicks and getting uh, takedowns that she didn't do much with and getting, you know, all this other stuff. But when Alexa Grasso had moments, those were like the spikes. Those were like the, the high spot moments in the fight. And you saw those. You yeah. saw her knock Valentina Shevchenko down in the second round. You saw her uh, maneuver out of the takedowns, get back up, you saw her on her back. You saw her threatened with the heel hook. Sometimes when it was on, when she was on her back, it seemed like she was doing the most damage because she's hitting Valentina Shevchenko. You saw her land those knees to the to the stomach. Uh, and so, if you're looking for a reason why Alexo Grasso uh, had one judge score it for her, and why you would think that maybe she had a chance to win it, I think that that's that's what it was. Like she had the she had the more obvious high spots in those rounds. And when you consider how you're supposed to score these fights these days maybe that does it maybe that's what wins i don't know yeah uh before we move on i do want to say we i referenced it earlier in the show how about sean shelby with the tell (laughs) i didn't notice it when it happened live but of course the internet remains undefeated you're gonna somebody's gonna put the video on twitter and so i saw it a million times after that bruce buffer clearly comes into the cage and leans over to sean shelby and says it's a draw and sean shelby turns around and says audibly well not audibly but you can see you can read his lips he says what the fuck Uh, just amazing moment in mma history anytime bruce buffer comes in there and it takes him longer than usual to feel like he is ready to read the scorecards and tell you who won it like he's over there making a face like he's trying to carry the one you know while he's looking at the the scorecards that should be your tip off that something like this is coming something funky happened All right, we're going to talk about that coming up in round number two. We'll do Are You Fucking Kidding Me before we get there, though. Uh, Ben, I'm just going to say this, not only because uh, we teased it in in a way we hadn't planned earlier in the show, but also I guess it sort of leads us into round number two. Uh, And that is Valentina Shevchenko's reaction to uh, coming out with a draw against Alexa Grasso that she clearly thought she should have won. And here is what she said to Daniel Cormier in the cage right immediately after the fight her immediate reactions he's she said quote judges i think felt a little bit like pressure because it's like mexican independence day and that's why i think they scored it for the mexican fighter in a fair competition victory would be mine are you fucking kidding me dude (laughs) we're gonna say that on mexican independence day the uh nevada state judges felt some pressure to score this one for Alexa Grasso for the Mexican fighter. You fucking kidding me? Okay. You fucking wait. kidding me, Valentina Shevchenko? Do you think and she doubled down on it later? It's not like later she came out and she would say like, oh, you know, emotions running high in uh, 
in the cage immediately after the loss. She's on Ariel Hawani's show today talking about how the next fight should be in her home country to, quote, make it fair. I mean, this one, again, was in fucking Las Vegas. Not in Mexico. <laughs> Not we in were Mexico. in Las Vegas. You fucking kidding me? Come on, Valentina Shevchenko. Okay, I don't want to give her a pass on this because she made several comments afterwards where I was like, hmm, come on now, Valentina. Like, especially when she said she she didn't hit me one time. Look at her face. Uh, you know, her face is all red. That look, She didn't hit me one time. She dropped you with a punch to the face. We all saw that. And we also saw her at several points unload on you with punches, knees, helped one point finish the fight in, in um, back mount, raining punches down on you. You got hit sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. let's just not act like that. Like, like she didn't lay a glove on you the entire time. Is it possible, though, that maybe this is someone in a second language the nuance gets lost there because everything comes out sounding very blunt uh, at sometimes for Valentina Shevchenko when she's talking in English. When maybe if somebody else is like, "Hey, it, the crowd is clearly on just or on, on Alexa Grasso's side here," you could tell that you could tell it, especially because when they're standing there looking at her after a draw, she's getting a big cheer from the crowd after a draw, and maybe what she's trying to say there is. When the crowd is solidly behind one person, the crowd's really popping for their moments and it's not really popping for yours, that that could influence the judges. I've seen that happen. I've been at fights where I felt like the crowd response swayed the judges in a close fight. So if you wanted to make that claim, okay, just maybe a little more nuance in, in how you communicate it would come off a little better. You might be right, but it's hard for me to explain away. I think the judges felt a little bit of pressure because it's Mexican Independence Day, and that's why they scored it for the Mexican fighter. It's hard for me to explain that one away. And never has Valentina Shevchenko sounded more Eastern Bloc Russian than to say, in a fair competition, victory would be mine. That's uh, some fucking <laughs> cartoon villain shit to say it like that. Also, not that I want to uh, get too cultural about this but can i just can i read you the names of the judges that valentina shevchenko alleges felt pressure because it was mexican independence day to score it for the mexican fighter mike bell sal damato and junicho camillo those are the, those are judges those mm -hmm. are the judges that uh couldn't score it for anyone else on mexican independent day you fucking kidding me fucking kidding me well chad my, are you fucking kidding me? We talked last week about big news in the combat sports space as Endeavor has grouped the WWE and the UFC under one roof, uh, under the company TKO, which kind of seems like it's screwing stockholders like the CME, who owns exactly one share of Endeavor. Now you took the thing that we bought the share for, you moved it over to another company, and we own a share of what? The goddamn talent agency? During the goddamn strike. That's not what we wanted when we paid our $24 or whatever it was for our one share of Endeavor. But that's not the point. The point is now that we got uh, WWE and UFC both under this, this parent company of TKO. We see this news here today. I'm looking at the bloody elbow story from Anton Tobuena, uh, which says mass layoffs over 100 employees cut after UFC WWE merger. Now this is really on the WWE side of things. Uh, Chad, I'm, I, I gotta say here, remember when 
Endeavor first bought the UFC, and we were promised a lot of synergies. These business dudes love them some synergies, finding efficiencies and whatnot, which means firing motherfuckers just left and right, just coming in there with an axe and just slaughtering the stuff. Uh, And one of my favorite parts whenever this happens is the business speak that accompanies it because to the business dudes at the top, this is all good news. Yeah. And here's... Uh, Ari Emanuel here, this quote in this bloody elbow story, quote, I think we had a range of 50 to $100 million annually with regard to back office and costs. We're on our way to kind of doing that. We did that with the UFC. We are on our way here with the WWE. There's also a lot of savings as it relates to the production side because of their production facility and our production facility. So that's a fun little good news way of saying we put a lot of people out of work. Ain't we grand? Yeah, then we do it. Cheer Are you fucking us. kidding Please me? Please clap. You fucking kidding me? All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, just in case you are wondering how Valentina Shevchenko is feeling about the way the judging went for this fight, I'm going to read you this quote from her on an episode of the MMA Hour with Ariel Helwani, uh, where she talks about specifically about Judge Mike Bell's 10-8 scorecard in the final round. Quote, Mike Bell did some inexplicable things. And I think the whole world would love to hear an explanation from the other side. It's not me. He's going to live with that mistake forever. (laughs) Now she might be overstating things to think that Mike Bell is going to be carrying this one to bed with him for the rest of his life. We have certainly seen worse judging. We've certainly seen more incomprehensible scorecards than that 10, eight in that fifth round. However, we do come out of this one once again, being like, okay, what's going on with the judging? And yet, there is a little part of me that goes, isn't this one of the changes that we tried to make to the the unified rules not so yeah. long ago? Yes. Were we, and honestly, one of our big criticisms of the unified rules and the way we judge it has been that using the boxing 10-9 system does not adequately delineate between rounds won by a little bit and rounds won by a lot. And you, especially in MMA where the rounds are longer, but there's fewer of them. You can go in there especially in a three round fight. You win the first and the third by razor thin margins, but you absolutely get your ass kicked in the second and you go, well, okay, I won that because I, you know, 10 nines uh, in two rounds versus uh, their 10, nine in the second round. So we wanted to see more 10, eight rounds to, accurately reflect when you had really, really won a round versus when it was pretty close, but okay, it leans in one direction. And maybe it's because I don't know if we can say that we did see that wholesale change in judging. We saw maybe some people get a little more liberal with handing out the 10-8s, but it's still jarring enough to us 
that we look at something like this in the fifth round, where clearly there was no question about who won that round. That was obviously Alexa Grasso's round. But then if one guy says, okay, she won that one by a larger margin than Valentina Shevchenko won some of the other rounds, won round one, for instance, I can't argue with saying that. She did win round five by a greater margin than Valentina Shevchenko won round one. And yet we see that 10-8 and people ready to get super mad about it. Yeah, well, I think the thing is, uh, it's hard to justify that scorecard within the context of that fight. Like if you are going to, if there's a 10-8 round for Alexa Grasso to be had in this fight, it's probably round two. Because that's the one where she knocks Valentina Shevchenko down with a punch and fairly convincingly wins that round. But if you're going to tell me that round five is a 10-8 for Alexa Grasso, then round two was probably a 10-8 for Valentina Shevchenko. Right. It's just like there's, if you wanted to give Alexa Grasso a 10-8, you gave her the wrong round. And if you're going to give her a 10-8 in that round, then I don't see how you don't give Valentina Shevchenko a 10-8 in round three. Uh, but to your point about 10-8 rounds, can I fill in some context here for Mike Bell? Sure. Because Mike Bell has, a, first of all, a reputation for being one of the best MMA judges. And Mike Bell loves giving some 10-8s out. Here is the, the tweet from Saturday from John Morgan, who says, reviewing the cards from UFC Noche, noticed that Mike Bell issued five total 10-8 rounds. Outside of the key final round in the headliner, he also had all three rounds of Knutson Mann at 10-8, as well as round one of Godinez Reed a 10-8. So the fact is, Mike Bell loves him some 10-8s. In fact, if you do a search on Twitter, which I did earlier today for, quote, Mike Bell 10-8s, you'll find tweets about Mike Bell giving out 10-8s going back to 2021. Giving out 10-8s is Mike Bell's thing. That's what he does. And I think, I then I would ask, like I said, I don't think you can defend it as it pertains to this specific round and this specific fight. But I do have to ask the question that you sort of just asked, is Mike Bell the only judge in the sport that's actually using 10-8s correctly, right? Because we've been having, we've been asking for a more nuanced, diverse diverse scoring system all the time. And like, shouldn't there be more 10-8s in MMA? I would argue yes. But I don't know, like this is just the most glaring example of that from a guy who like for mike bell this is not out of character at all for him to give round five ten eight to alexa grasso you're right that you know if you're gonna give her a ten eight there then i don't know what your reasoning is that doesn't operate the same way earlier in the fight for valentina shevchenko i also have a a moment of bemused enjoyment here hearing you talk about what your google searches because i'm imagining your wife getting on your laptop and being like i bet he's looking up porn or something <laughs> and then she looks at your google history and it's just mike bell 10 eights and she's like what the fuck does this even mean uh but yeah i mean i i, I still do wonder especially with this fight if you come in here we, we you know we talk about the effect that the the crowd might have on the judges if they're really going crazy for some moments, you might be convinced that these are bigger moments or that the finish is closer than it actually is. But also, you know, these judges come in, they know what happened in the last fight. They've got that in their mind somehow, even if they're, they're not saying, they probably would not say that they are consciously taking that into effect. 
But when you see Alexa Grasso end up on Valentina Shevchenko's back, and you know that's exactly where and how she won the last one, like she's she's hitting her from there. Even if a lot of those are being blocked, some of them are getting through. Uh, it they're like we said, big gestures that are easy to see, hard to miss. She goes for that same face crank at one point that she won the first fight with. Do you think that stuff like that plays more of a role than, say, Valentina Shevchenko getting a mounted guillotine that also looks like it's pretty close and Alexa Grasso ends up getting out of it? You know, they go, they say, all right, Alexa Grasso clearly wanted this stuff. She won the last fight there. So when she ends the fight, especially she's in the second half of the last round on her back going for that face crank that they're going, oh, shit. Yeah, she's really taking it to her now. She is really close to winning this fight and finishing it here. Yeah, it's possible. And I think it just it comes down to maybe an age old argument of do you score the round based more on volume or do you score it more on uh, the, the the biggest moments in the round and the the fighter who seemed like she was close enough to actually or closer the the most close to actually finishing it. Uh, can I air a controversial opinion though? Oh, having by all means. This fight, having watched this fight twice now, nobody wants more draws, right? We can understand that. One of the reasons that we watch MMA and combat sports and sports in general is obviously to get clear cut endings. We watch it to get definitive answers. But this fight was a draw, bro. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. fight was a draw. Uh, I don't even really care who scored what for who in which rounds. I don't care who got the points. This fight was a draw. If you watched this fight removed from the idea then we that we absolutely have to pick a winner, winner according to the 10-8 round, 10-8 scoring system, without that like cultural pressure of being like, oh, it's an MMA fight. We have to, we have to score it for someone. It's a draw. This fight's a draw, bro. I think if you showed it to anyone who didn't think of it in that way, in the scoring way, they would watch it and they'd be like, I don't know. It seemed even. It seemed like a draw. It definitely, I mean, Valentina Shevchenko could be mad about it, but I can't come away from this one being like, she was robbed. She is clearly the rightful champion. She was the much better fighter on that night. I mean, one of the things that made it such an interesting and fun and exciting fight to watch is how back and forth it was and how everybody's making, everybody came in having made some adjustments on the first fight and then continued to make adjustments as the fight went on. And that makes for a really compelling fight. But it also makes it so that by the end, I can't be like, this person obviously deserved to win, and I will hear no other arguments uh, in the opposite direction. I just didn't feel that way about this one. Yeah. No, when I scored it as it happened, I actually had it 48-47 for Alexa Grasso. And then actually, when I went back and watched it today, obviously, you get a different... If you, when you know what the outcome is, obviously it, it, uh, it affects how you watch the fight. But like, honestly, I think it's a draw. I thought, if nothing else, I think round four was a tie. Because it was so close. I feel like that's, you give out a 9-9 there. And I think that Grasso comes back and wins. She doesn't have a 10-8, but she wins the last round 10-9. I think you have a draw. That's just... You have a 10-10. It's 10-point must. 10-10, sure. In the name. Nine and a half. Each fighter gets <laughs> nine and a half points. Okay. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. Uh, we will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, here we go. This Saturday, September 23rd, we're back to the UFC Apex in Las Vegas. 
a fight night card featuring Raphael Fazeev and Mateusz Gamrot in the lightweight contender fight that we've all been waiting for. I'm being facetious, but this actually will be a pretty good fight. I think Raphael Fazeev uh, and Mateusz Gamrot. We have, you know, lightweight is obviously one of the most competitive divisions in the sport. We have a bit of a log jam at the top of the division right now. But, uh, you know, one of these two guys could potentially, I think, break into that elite status uh, if they manage to put together a couple of more uh, impressive wins. You have Fazeev here. He's coming in off that somewhat surprising, I think, majority decision loss to Justin Gaethje, at least maybe surprised the matchmakers who uh, appeared to really want to give Rafael Fazeev a test, but perhaps one that he would pass against Justin Gaethje back in March of this year. Previous to that, he had won six fights in a row in the UFC. Mateusz Gamrot comes in. He beat Jalen Turner by split decision at UFC 285. Previous to that, had lost to Benil Dariush. Uh, But before that had won four fights in a row, although the last one of that was that very, very close one against Armand Sarukian. So I think the one that he won. But did he, though? Did he, though? Uh, I think you have two really good fighters here, two really good lightweights, both of whom are young enough, I think, to have fairly high ceilings. And this is this, I think, promises to be kind of an interesting, hotly contested, fun fight. Yeah, and it is the opportunity to do something where, at least according to the UFC rankings, it's number six versus number seven. Really makes sense, ranking-wise. You know, breaking into the top five of lightweight is super tough. Way tougher than it is in a lot of other divisions, especially in the heavier weight classes. So, you get up in there at lightweight in the top five, you're somebody. You must be really fucking good. And both these guys are kind of knocking on the door at this point. And so it is, it's, it's, it's a fight that seems stylistically interesting and also makes sense for the division to find out which one of these guys can really move forward, especially because we've seen them both kind of, as you said, getting there sort of close, running up against somebody and being like, okay, maybe not yet. Although I'll say for Raphael Fazeev, that loss to Justin Gaethje Looks like it has aged a little better, doesn't it? Especially yeah. after Justin Gates, you went out there and knocked out fucking Dustin Poirier. Mm-hmm. And so then if you go, all right, we were looking at Gates. She has maybe like a guy to make a name off of. And then he goes out there in a couple of these fights, beats Raphael Fazeev, uh, beats Dustin Poirier and says, nope, not yet. I'm not that guy yet. I'm still pretty good. I can still do it. And so you go, okay, doesn't seem so bad to lose to a fellow like that after all. Yeah, no, that's uh that's a good point. And I like I said, I think that this one uh it's gonna turn out to be a, a fun fight that's worth our time. This may be one that you wanna check out Sunday morning when you get up. Uh you got Raphael Fasiv going off as the slight favorite, minus one sixty two and Gamrock going off at one plus one thirty six. So a fairly close fight as the odds makers see it. We would be remiss if we did not mention Bryce Mitchell's fruit trees. Yeah. Before we got out of here this week, Mm -hmm. uh, a terrible tragedy in the life of Bryce Mitchell, who took to social media this week to announce that his ex-girlfriend had come over to his house while he wasn't there and quote, killed all his fruit trees, which was apparently if you wanted to cause deep psychological pain to Bryce Mitchell, apparently the way to do it would be to kill his fruit trees because he's bothered by this. She knows where the sensitive spots are for Bryce Mitchell. That's, although, I mean, I don't care what went on in your relationship. I cannot condone you going over there and attacking the fruit trees who didn't do anything to anybody, Chad. Innocent. Totally innocent were the fruit trees. They're just trying to flourish in nature, produce nature's bounty 
for all of us. And you're going to go over there and to get back at Bryce Mitchell, the fruit trees have to be casualties. That ain't right. That just ain't right. Yeah. It's also, though, like it's a certain kind of window into Bryce Mitchell's life, right? Where here it is. It's like a couple weeks before his fight. And he's out there on the Internet being like, this woman killed my fruit trees and has some kind of vendetta against me. And also she owns this tattoo shop on whatever street. He keeps saying it and and he keeps asking the community to basically rally around him. And it's like, but also keeps mentioning the tattoo shop. And I'm just like, I don't even know what you're asking people to do. Are you trying to get people to go down there and throw a brick through the window or like, or just not patronize the tattoo shop? Or like, I don't even know what you're really asking for here, man. But it sounds like, uh, a lot, a lot going on yeah. in the fellow's life as he's mm-hmm. getting ready for a fight. If you're Dan Ege sitting here watching this, are you going like, this bodes well for me? <laughs> I think Bryce you are. Mitchell might be distracted, or are you like, man, he gonna have a lot of pent up anger about this incident with the fruit trees? Yeah, I mean, if you're Dan Ige again, Dan Ige is no joke, man. He's a tough fight for anybody. I don't see how you really focus all of your time and energy on getting ready for him. If you have this terrible personal tragedy with the fruit trees, you know, Dan Ige had lost three in a row, but he's back on the winning streak here. He's beat Damon Martin and Nate Landwehr in his last two. So picking up another win over Bryce Mitchell is basically exactly what he needs uh, to, to get back on track, so to speak. So yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see. Maybe Bryce Mitchell just challenges, channels all of that inner rage and he, he's the best version of Bryce Mitchell we've ever seen. I don't know what'll happen. I mean, he's going off as around a two-to-one favorite, Bryce Mitchell is, in this fight. So, I don't know, maybe odds makers were like, oh, wait, he's he's mad about the fruit trees? Oh, he's going to kill this poor man. Yeah, that's... Last time you want to fight Bryce Mitchell is when he's filled with that, filled with that fruit tree rage. How If you're if you're Dan Ige's, uh, you're in his corner, are you like, what if we show up to weigh in eating an apple? Yeah, just bring you know him what a bag of fruit. Like I heard your fruit tree, fruit trees died. Here's a bag of apples and oranges. yeah, or like you're eating the apples and you you toss him the core and you'd be like, there's some seeds in there to get you started on the the next one. <laughs> wow, yeah, that cold is kind of, ice that's, cold. That's cold. All right, uh, anything else you want to say about this card? Tim Means is on there. It's it's uh it's your basic uh, mid September fight night card, right? Michelle Watterson, Brian Battle. Yeah, this is some shit where we know football's on. You know, that's what the UFC saying. We know football's on. We got to do something, but we understand. All right, let's move on to just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Well, Chad, this falls under the heading of big if true, but I'm looking over here at uh, Twitter where uh, my guy Al Zolino Italy's MMA kingpin, as he identifies himself, uh, but who has been you know, on there with some uh, some MMA scoops from time to time and has been following the story about a potential PFL purchase of Bellator pretty closely for a while now. Uh, and just tweeted this out today. I'm going to read it to you. Update. Just got another text message confirming, quote, PFL is buying Bellator. Apparently, it's happening right now. I'd say we're actually very close to an official announcement now. Also, trying to understand how it's going to play out. I'm hearing there will be two different leagues. Now, I'm just saying, one, big if true. Big if true, yeah. Two, two different leagues. There can't. There's just no way. 
There's just no way you're going to tell me that nobody has learned this lesson yet. How many times have we seen this shit happen? You know, we're buying this thing. Business as usual over there, though. We're going to continue running it separately. Never works out. Just There there just ain't no way you're ever going to do it that way for long. Ain't no way it's a good idea. I do not understand it. I'm just saying those who do not remember MMA history, Chad, are doomed to repeat it. I'm just saying. Also big if true. Yeah, big if true. Our, what are we talking about? A sort of an AFC NFC type situation here? National League, American League? I don't understand. What are we? Or I don't know. That just seems weird. If you're buying Bellator, bring it into the PFL. Isn't that why you would buy it? Is it still going to be Bellator? I don't. It's a lot of questions. A lot to unpack. And where would it air? And how does the smart cage factor? If the smart cage is so smart, it should tell you this is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. The cage Go ask should the smart cage. Yeah, the cage should somehow just begin speaking to you. Has gained sentience and is just like bad idea. Do not do this. <laughs> Go ask the great and powerful smart cage. <laughs> Ben, this week, I'm just saying, you know, you and I talked about this on Friday during the power hour. There were a lot of lopsided betting odds going into this UFC Noche event, a surprising number that we usually don't necessarily see at UFC events. Then we have the the fights themselves, and you got a lot of stoppages here, my man. Raul Rosas Jr. goes out there and knocks out Terrence Mitchell in under a minute. Uh, Loopy goes out there and gets a second round submission win in a fight that she largely dominated. Exciting fighter, by the way. Real yeah. Loopy. She's become an appointment viewing out here. She's she's fun to watch. Uh, Roman Kopilov gets a big knockout in the second round. You know, just uh, Charlie Campbell, uh, first round TKO, gets himself a uh, $50,000 performance of the night bonus. So I guess I'm just saying... Do we secretly like these mismatches? Mm. Are mismatches good, actually? Or would we rather have a bunch of really close fights that are all split decisions and split draws and whatnot? I don't know. I mean, it's time to do some soul searching. We make fun of Bellator when they have the like the minus 15 million odds. But here yeah. you've got uh, the UFC coming out here with a bunch of minus 700s and whatnot. And we're all like, great show, well done, very exciting, should do it every year. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. You know what I appreciate, especially about Loopy's performance here, is how she mixed the martial arts. She did indeed. She really did mix the martial arts. She mixed them all up. I love that. uh, Damn near broke that poor girl's arm, right? What was her name? Erin Reed, is that who she fought? Elise Elise Reed. Reed? Yeah, how did she not tap? I mean, listen... Loopy's job is to to grab hold of your arm. What happens to it after that is your problem, you know? Indeed. Indeed, sir. Anyway, that is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Uh, We will be back all week over on the Patreon page, Wednesday's live chat, Thursday with Doing the Damn Thing, Friday with the Power Hour. Come over there and hang with us. Co-mainevent.com is how you email the podcast. Patreon.com slash co-main event is how you join up with the team. For those guys, we'll see you later this week. For everybody else, we'll talk to you next week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. What happened with these tires? You got time to tell me what happened with these tires? Tell you what, this one gets filed under could have been a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay. <laughs> I was way out there on one of these, maybe one of the worst back roads I've ever driven in Montana, uh, where you had to drive three miles an hour because the road is so bad. And I was kind of worried about my already old tires. Uh, made it in and out, no problems. Get off the highway, coming back, boom, big ass screw in the tire. Shit goes flat. I'll tell you what though, you want to talk about dad and out of control? I had that puppy changed inside of thirty minutes on some NASCAR pit crew shit, Chad. All wow. me. Did you? Did you have to just get one tire? Or did you have to get the whole new set? Got to get the whole new set. Yeah, sucks when that happens. That's expensive. They're not fucking around to sell you a whole new set. You know what? Now I'm all.